morning. How's everyone doing this morning? I'm, I'm really excited to be in big church. Um, I started calling it that again. I've been hanging out with the youth every Sunday, and we've been having a ton of fun. A little bit more fun over there. Um, we've been playing this game called Kajabi Can Can. It's making a comeback. And I don't know if any of you are aware of this game, but basically you hold on to ropes around a circle and the trash can's in the middle, and you try to pull each other into the trash can. <laughs> So we have tons of fun, and the kids have, like, all their moves of, like, like all their bodies do all these weird things. But I, I got in, and I played with the high schoolers, and I made top three. I mean, I don't want to brag, but last service applauded. It's fine. You guys are fine. But um, I made top three with two of the strongest high schoolers, and I was very excited. But when I got out, they said, good job, May May. And May May is my nickname from VBS. And I just, like... I had these two like conflicting feelings right away. Like I was so proud, like, oh, that's so sweet. That's good sportsmanship. And then the competitor in me was like, <laughs> so needless to say, I've been training for my comeback <laughs> against these students um, that I love and I promise not to hurt. So, so many conflicting <laughs> emotions, but I'm excited. I'm training for kickball. I'll be out there. Um, you know, they don't know it, but I'm practicing. So. It's going to be fun. It's going to be my comeback. But this morning, I'm just excited to be here with you guys. And I'm just wondering if anyone here is looking uh, for a comeback in their story. Maybe something a little bit more serious. If, if we're in hurting at all, if we're looking for a little bit of hope. Anybody just in the middle of something you just wish would be over? I feel like we all at least have that in common right now. But then even on top of the pandemic, there's so many other things going on. Just normal life struggles. The good news is, is that we can come to Jesus when we are weary. Anybody looking for a little Jesus this morning? Is that why we're coming to church? I'm excited to meet Jesus through the story of Joseph this morning. What a timely story it is for us to look at today. Joseph is a story of God's redemptive plan for broken families through whom he will meet the needs of this world. See, our Christian witness starts at home. It starts within us when we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. And I'm just wondering, are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives? Are we willing to do the work that it takes for the comeback? You see, we have to be a part of that as well. Are we willing to ask the Holy Spirit to help us? And, you know, this pandemic has just been hard it's just been really hard. And on top of political tensions and on top of um, racial tensions caused by the evil that is racism, we have just been struggling as, as a country. And we have, we, have, we have families who are now working from home simultaneously having to teach their littles and having to do online learning. And then we have teachers who are having to do both, who are having to completely rewire the way that they handle a classroom not their classroom anymore, and who also have littles at home. And we have just people going in, in so many different ways, and then on top of that, just life's struggles. But I'm here to tell you this morning, if you've struggled or you're struggling, today we're going to look at that restoration is possible. And we know this because this is what the scriptures teach, but I'm telling you I know it because I've also experienced this in my life, and I'm excited to look at the hope this morning. I think that the longer we put off allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, the longer our comeback 
is going to take, maybe collectively as well as individually. But what I absolutely love about this idea of a comeback is that it means that where you are right now is not who you are. It means that whatever your circumstance right now is not the label that defines you. It's going to change. Things always change. And so I just want to bring a little hope to you right now that whatever's happening right now is not going to be forever. Have you done things that you're maybe not proud of during this time? It's okay. It's not too late. Maybe you're in pain. Maybe you're struggling. My husband went through COVID. He was hospitalized and he was out of work for a few months. My son was diagnosed and went through cancer and chemo during this pandemic. My dad's currently going through chemo and cancer, battling cancer. Our dear grandma just passed away suddenly and we had to kind of come together and figure out how, to, how do we mourn her in this time where gathering is hard. And on top of that, you have the burdens of everyone around you and just even the pain of lost loved ones like losing Dan Atwood, who was such a great man. There's just, there's so much tragedy. Maybe that there's division in your family. I've talked to way too many people where there's just like this line and we've just kind of drawn it in the sand. And some of us have landed on this side and some of us have landed on this side and we're just kind of at war, just looking at each other. But we don't have to stay that way. We don't have to dig in. There is hope for change. Joseph tells us of a family's sin and their repentance. It's the story of a man's pride and humility and a story of how God will choose, God still chooses to work in and through imperfect people to accomplish his will. See, if I'm looking into Joseph's life and his family life, and I'm God, I'm probably just going to like sidestep him, just be like, y'all are too messed up. I'm not going to use you for this story. I'm going to go pick the nice-looking, church-going family. But I'm not God. Thank goodness for that. I think this is a great lesson for us all to be reminded that no matter what we've done, none of us are disqualified from a comeback story of God's redemption in our lives. And none of our families are either. Joseph was a 17-year-old kid, and he was um, his dad's favorite. There was no, uh, no question about it. Genesis tells us, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word about him. Oof. I'm just wondering this morning, is there somebody in your life that you cannot speak a kind word about? Is there somebody who watching them succeed is hard for you? Maybe a little jealousy there. Let's be careful and let's pray that God would transform our hearts so that it does not turn into something bad as we're going to see here. So Joseph not reading the room, like, hello, Joseph, nobody likes you. He just kind of bursts into his brothers. He's like, hey, guess what, guys? Not only my dad's favorite, but I had this dream, and it basically says, I'm going to be in a position to rule over you one day. Woohoo! So then it says, his brothers were so 
filled with jealousy, they plotted to kill him. See, I told y'all that was going to escalate quickly. We need, to, we need to stop and ask for forgiveness. So the brothers ended up just selling Joseph instead of killing him. And all his sons came to, they told Joseph's dad, Jacob, they just told him that he died. But they really just sold Joseph. And so all, it says all his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, no, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. And so his father wept for him. Jacob's favoritism brought division to his family. Joseph's pride stoked the fire of his brother's jealousy. But this isn't what their, when their story ends. That's my favorite part about it. See, our stories might not be pretty. This story right now, not pretty. It's not cute. But it's not where it ends. Thank God for that. So then Joseph gets sold to Potiphar, who's his Egyptian master. And it says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. The Lord does not exclude us, nor does he remove his favor or his presence from us when we act like a fool. God doesn't abandon us when we're suffering. He doesn't take it away, but God is with us. Growing up, I experienced my fair share of loss and of trauma. I grew up in some really dysfunctional family dynamics. But even as a little girl, I knew that God was with me. And I would pray to God when I felt alone. And in the, in the dark of the night, when I just felt like there was nowhere, no hope, I just knew that God was with me. Then again, when I was pregnant as an 18-year-old, I had never felt more alone, abandoned, and ashamed. But God was with me. He did not withdraw from me. My story was not over. Married at 18, my husband and I now with a baby, we put the fun in dysfunctional. We had problems. We struggled. And we suffered but God was right there with us. He didn't remove us from all the painful situations, but he was there teaching us and growing us and moving us toward restoration. So then Joseph is falsely accused. Again, he's, he has favor with God and favor with his master, but he's falsely accused and he gets thrown into prison. See, sometimes we can do everything just right and we still get thrown out. And we still get discarded. And we still have unfair punishment. Keep your eyes on God. Joseph kept his eyes on God. So now Joseph's in prison and once again finds favor with God. It says, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And we see man just continually just throwing Joseph out, mistreating Joseph, throwing him in prison unfairly. 
But God is with Joseph. God walks with Joseph. God gives Joseph favor and gives him everything that he needs. And he draws near to Joseph. Now, right about this point in the story, I'm just wondering, like, now, God, if you can be with Joseph, if you can give him favor with his master and then with the prison guard, why don't you just set him free? Anybody ever just wonder, like, God, why don't you just take the thing? Just take it from me. When my son Logan was going through, um, the year leading up to his cancer diagnosis was actually the hell. The diagnosis actually brought a little bit of relief. But leading up to it, his pain increased so bad. He would lay in bed sometimes just screaming and crying and hitting the wall, and I would have to wake up in the middle of the night with him helpless. There's nothing I could do. And I would sit with him and just pray with him and cry with him, but God was with us. And the doctors just thought it, it was a slipped disc and he shouldn't be in that much pain, and so they just kind of discarded him. And urgent care trip after urgent care ER, they just said, you, you don't really need to go to the ER. There's nothing we can do for you. It, it just takes time. And then his pain continually gradually increased more and more and more. And so we invited the elders here at Rancho to come over to our house. And they came over and they anointed him with oil and they laid hands on him and they prayed with him. And it was a beautiful picture of God drawing close to us in our pain through his people and through this church. And a couple days later, one of the elders came up to me and she said, how's Logan doing? And I talked to her for a little bit and she said, you know, I didn't know if I was going to tell you this, but Megan, I came that night ready to go to the throne of God asking for healing that night. And as I sat next to Logan, I felt the Spirit say, not yet. I am working. If you are in the middle of something painful, would you just say out loud, God is working. And those of you that are online, if, you, if, you, if there's someone who you even know that's going through a struggle, would you just say it out loud? God is working. There's a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and it says, Health is a gift from God, but sickness is a greater gift still. Maybe not everybody believes with that, but the idea is that when we're healthy, we tend not to turn toward God, not to recognize our need for him. We see Joseph leaning on God and listening to God, and we see God using this time to teach Joseph because there's a greater thing that's happening. There's a greater need beyond Joseph that's out there. So Joseph is in training so while Joseph's in prison, there's a chief cupbearer, and he's, he's basically at the right hand of Pharaoh, and he makes Pharaoh mad for some reason. And so Pharaoh throws the chief cupbearer in prison. And while in there, he's with Joseph, and Joseph interprets his dream for him. And Joseph tells him, you know, he's struggling with this dream. And so Joseph tells him, it's not me that interprets dreams, it's God. And we see this growth in Joseph now. He's understanding that his gifts are not his gifts but that they are from God and for a purpose. And so he goes on, he interprets a dream, and he tells the cupbearer, you're going to be out of here. You're going to sit at the right hand once again of Pharaoh, and you're going to have his favor. 
And then Joseph says, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even there, even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Verse 23 says, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. I'm just wondering today if there's anybody here that feels like they've been forgotten and that maybe has been placing their hope and their, the, the hope for change in the hand of a human being, that we've put what happens to us in the hand of someone else and so then there's been no hope because we've been forgotten. Maybe some of us are the cupbearer and maybe this pandemic has actually helped our family dynamic and we're thriving and we're closer than ever. Maybe some of us, our finances haven't been touched and we've been going to work every day just as normal and it hasn't affected us. We need to remember those who have not been so lucky. Remember those who have loved ones in the hospital. Remember those whose finances have been affected and we need to care for them. I love the symbolism right here because I love that, you know, the cupbearer sits at the right hand of the king of Pharaoh, but we have a God who sits, we have Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of God, the king, and who intercedes for us now on our behalf. We don't have to put our hope in some person and hope that they remember us. We have access today to Jesus Christ. Luke 22 says, But from now on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand and power of God. And in Romans it says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I love this commentary on that verse. It says, Jesus didn't go to heaven after his earthly ministry and take a break from his role as eternal shepherd for his people. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If when humble, despised, dying, and dead, he had the power to accomplish so great a work as reconciling us to God, how much more may we expect that he will be able to keep us now that he is living, exalted, a triumphant redeemer, raised to life and interceding on our behalf before the throne? Clearly, Jesus is still very active on our behalf in heaven. John 5, 1 John says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We have access to Jesus Christ, and he will hear us. And that gives me a little hope this morning. So two years go by, and, and, jo and Pharaoh now is having some dreams that he's wrestling with, and his chief cupbearer remembers Joseph. A little late, buddy. It's been two years. But he remembers him. And he's like, hey, I know this dude, and he can interpret your dream for you. And so Joseph's like, all right, let him out. And so Joseph goes to Pharaoh, and he interprets his dream, and he tells him, Egypt is going to experience seven years of total abundance, followed by seven years of such a severe famine that it will wipe out any memory 
of the seven years of abundance. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God's made all this known to you, there's no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and of all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. I just wonder if Joseph, as a 17-year-old, didn't go through some of the things that he had to go through, if he could be entrusted with this, if God could have trusted him. I know I wouldn't have been able to. Joseph was just a slave. He was just then in prison. And now he's given this opportunity to literally save the lives of everyone in Egypt. See, you're not where you are right now. That's not who you are. You might be down, but you're not out. Your story has yet to unfold. Joseph's brothers end up having to come and beg for food, and and they don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. And so then Joseph has this, this decision to make. Joseph now has grown, and, and he's humbled himself, and it says that he is wise, and he's been put in this position, and he struggles. I believe that he wants badly to seek revenge and to do to his brothers what they did to him. But he ends up deciding to show mercy on them, and he, he kind of plays with them a little bit first. He, has them, he, he kind of tests them, too. And I think during this time, he's just wrestling with, like, how am I going to behave now that I've been given this responsibility? So Joseph decides to show mercy. And in doing that, not only does he become closer to God, he saves his family and he saves all of Egypt. God was working the whole time. I think I'm going to go through just some of the ingredients that we see here for a good comeback. Some of the points that we see, I think the first one we see is humility. We see Joseph going from this kid saying, I'm going to roll over you, to this humble, humble servant of the king who has all of this power and authority and chooses forgiveness. The brothers were humbled. They were thrown at the, mer- they were at the mercy of Joseph. And even after Joseph revealed to them who he was, they begged him for forgiveness. C.S. Lewis says, For pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. That sounds a little familiar today. He says, It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Jesus tells us in Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit because they recognize their need for God. And I'm just saying this morning, I think some of us need to recognize that we need God. Will we humble ourselves? James 4.10 says, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he'll exalt you. And 1 Peter, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, as he did with Joseph. Matthew, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Jesus is saying, let me do it for you. I have a plan. Would you trust me? And number two is walking with God and recognizing God's hand. 
I think that we need to be focused right now as a church, as a nation. We need to focus much more on what God is doing than what man is doing because God is always working. This was painful for Joseph. Forgiveness is not easy. Twice his brothers came to him, and they still didn't know who he was, and it says that he had to withdraw himself from them and go cry because he's just sitting here like he probably didn't want to forgive them. He probably knew that's what he needed to do and didn't want to do it, and he remembered the pain, and he withdrew from them, and he cried, and then when he revealed himself to his brothers, it says that he wept so loudly the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's whole household heard about it. But then when his brothers threw themselves at his mercy, he said, don't be afraid. Am I the place of God? He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Remember when they couldn't speak a kind word about him? And he speaks kindly to them. He recognized God's hand throughout and now has a little bit of a glimpse of the bigger picture of this famine. So did did God cause this? Maybe. I don't think so. I think that Jacob's favoritism, Joseph's pride, and the brothers' jealousy was enough in the mix right there to kind of bring this on themselves. But did God use this time to teach Joseph who he was and use Joseph's position to save a nation? Yes, and through humility and walking with God and forgiveness, their family was restored. Did God give my son cancer? I don't think so. Could he have prevented it? Yeah. Could he have healed him faster when we were laying in the bed crying out to God? Yeah. But my ways are not God's ways. And I don't see what God sees. But I will trust in God. And I will choose to see that he is working. And when I struggle, I hope to pray like the father in Matthew who says, I believe, but would you help my unbelief? The third thing is forgiveness. Timothy Keller said the fastest way to become a Pharisee is to hate a Pharisee. See, we can hate something that's, that's, that's a terrible thing. And then we can become what we hate. Forgiveness is not very popular right now. But Jesus calls, it to, calls us to forgive because bitterness is getting in the way. I don't know if you've heard that. Um, that saying before, but it says when you hold on to unforgiveness and you're holding on to bitterness, it's like drinking the poison and expecting the other person to die. They're going along living their life and it's holding you back. In order for my marriage to survive, we had to walk in forgiveness. We had to practice it all the time. Yesterday, my husband said something that made me mad. And he was like, honey, you have to forgive me. You're preaching on it tomorrow. And then he said, and if you don't, I'm going to troll you in the online comments and tell people you wouldn't forgive me. And if anyone wanted a glimpse into my marriage, there it is. 
But we are now experiencing the fruit in our marriage of years of walking with forgiveness through hurt. We are experiencing the fruit in our marriage, in our kids' lives. And even that family dysfunction I was telling you that I was grown up in, we all are still walking together as a family. And if that's your family today and if you're broken you think there's no hope, I'm here to tell you there is hope. We are still walking together in forgiveness. We fight. We can fight still. There's still hurt, but we forgive. Forgiveness is not absolution. It doesn't let the other person off the hook. You can still keep boundaries, and there's a tension having a boundary and forgiving. Forgiveness isn't just one action. It's a lifestyle. It's a practice, but I believe forgiveness is a freedom for us. And lastly, for your comeback, I believe you've got to get up. Some of y'all have been down, and it's time to get up. Maybe you're the brothers, and jealousy is making you nasty. Maybe you're jealous of people who have not been touched by this pandemic, and, and they're just living their life, and you're sitting there and suffering with a loved one who's hurting, or your job is gone, and you don't know where to turn. Maybe you were struggling with jealousy before this pandemic. Maybe you're Jacob. And your favoritism is causing division in your church, in your family. Favoritism of those who think like you, who look like you, who vote like you. Maybe you're Joseph and you've just been hurt. Things have been taken from you. You've been thrown in prison through no fault of your own. You're bitter and you're angry. Oh, I have been there. I have questioned God. I have wrestled with God. Why would you do this to me? Why would you not take the thing? Take it away when you can. It's like torture. We can be honest with God. Even Jesus questioned God. And it says that Jesus, hanging on a cross, cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he died. And then he rose again in victory. And now he sits at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf with all the authority of heaven on earth given to him. We can sit in our pain, and then we've got to get up. Joseph recognized God's hand through this. And you see, some of us, we want the reconciliation. We want to be used by God, but we won't let go of the things. We won't let go of the bitterness. We won't let go of the wrong that they did against me. We won't let go of how can they see this thing this way? How can they vote this way? We won't let go. So our hands are not empty to receive what God wants to do in and through us. To bring his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've got to let go. How we get up matters. We've got to get up the way Jesus did. And we need to rise in humility, in forgiveness, in faith. Let's follow the example of Joseph's family. The brothers humbled themselves. Joseph forgave and Jacob repented. It says when Jacob heard the news of his son, 
still being alive. It says the spirit of their, their father Jacob revived. And I just think some of us are ready for our spirit to have a little revival. Amen? For some good news. And at the end of Jacob's life on his deathbed, it said that he gathered all his sons and that he spoke encouragement and prayer over each and every one of them. That is possible for us through humility, forgiveness, repentance, and relying on God. And first, we need to recognize our reliance on God. See, our comeback story isn't just about us. It is about accomplishing the will of God. It is about the saving of others, of many lives. What might we do with our comeback? What might these hands do, empty and surrendered? Maybe bring justice for the oppressed. Maybe mercy for the poor. And maybe love for a world that is hurting. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your son Jesus who died for us, but who now sits at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf, who hears us, who listens to us, and who instead of doing everything that we ask for, sees the bigger picture and allows us to lean on you, to be taught by you, and to grow Father, I pray through your spirit that we would be a people of humility, that we would be a people of forgiveness, that we would be a people of love. Nothing in this world is worth holding on to when it comes to the other option of being used by you. Father, would you just use us? We repent today of the pride we've been hanging on to. We, we let go of the anger. And we see the glory of God coming. Thank you for using your imperfect people and your imperfect families to accomplish your will on earth. We love you so much. We praise you, Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.